week, the comics guys explain Super Pets. Hello, yes. Thank you, Ben. Uh, this time, we will be talking about the uh, companions of some of our favorite uh, superheroes. Uh, that is the Super Pets. So, Darren, where do you want to start with this? Well, if the uh, the greatest superhero ever is Superman, then obviously uh, Superman's dog has to kind of like qualify as the greatest super pet, right? And the forthcoming movie uh, is going to star Crypto, so let's start by talking about him. Crypto appears for the first time in a uh, Superboy feature in Adventure number 210. That's uh, March of 1955, and it's written by Otto Bonder and uh, drawn by Kurt Swan. Um, Binder at this point had left Fawcett because of the cancellation of Captain Marvel and basically had come over to uh, DC to become one of the primary Superman writers. And he brought his kind of, you know, cockeyed Captain Marvel sense of humor to a lot of the Superman stories that he was doing at that time. Right. Um, And also to Superboy, which is actually what this feature was that he was writing. And so in this story, we learn that, uh, you know, we travel back to, you know, Krypton just before it explodes. And we discover that before Jor-El put uh, his baby son in the rocket to shoot him off, he had several test rockets that he was firing around. And he put the family dog in one of them and kind of like shot it into orbit with the intention of bringing him back, right? They weren't like sending his dog off to just like die in space. But, you know, they were, uh, you know, shooting him out into orbit with the intention of him coming back. And so he's still out there when Krypton explodes. So uh, when, you know, Jor-El barely gets, uh, you know, baby Kal-El off in the rocket. And so as his rocket is shooting to Earth, the backup rocket, the other test rocket with Crypto in it is following Superboy to Earth for whatever, you know, shenanigans traveling near the speed of light, etc. thing that goes on. Crypto does not show up on Earth uh, until, you know, like 10 years after Kal-El crashes there. Right. And somehow manages to land like right by the, you know, Kent family farm anyway. Uh, And so, you know, from that point on, Superboy has a pet dog who has, you know, the same kind of powers that he does, um, including, you know, super speed and heat vision and all of that. Um, Plus, he's really intelligent for dog standard. Right. I mean, like he, he can't talk, but he thinks in complete sentences. And, you know, is uh, somehow is able to, like, you know, regularly kind of, like, communicate what he means and that sort of thing to Superboy and to other characters. Um, He is eventually, in the 50s, uh, revealed to still be alive in Superman's time as well, right? So he's an extremely long-lived dog, or Kryptonian dogs just live for a long time. We don't know. But by the 60s, he's also part of Superman's backstory, or part of his, you know, kind of, like, supporting cast. Um, where he is usually off planet, right? Like Superman can go out into space and call him somehow, but most of the time crypto is just kind of like romping around out there, having fun and, you know, adventures on his own. Um, at one point we, uh, learn that, uh, crypto has set up a doghouse of solitude, uh, on an asteroid and, you know, goes there to sleep basically when he's not off having adventures. That's the great, that's the one, that's great, you know, uh, classic comic silliness. Right, exactly. Oh, Crypto is one of the, is part of that just kind of like wonderful run of pointless and beautiful, you know, Superman stuff, basically, of the 50s and 60s. We learn, of course, over time that uh, the, the, the L family um, had a whole bunch of Crypto's ancestors, too, right? Like, they apparently maintained an entire, you know, kennel of dogs uh, for... Either, I guess, for just, you know, hanging around the house or also for Jor-El to, you know, shoot off in rockets, basically. So we learn of, like, Crypto's father is Zipto, and his grandfather is Nipto, and his great-grandfather is Vipto, and they all have names like that, basically. So... Crypto, of course, is a big hit. He's It's a funny bit to do. It's great to have, you know, like a, a boy and his dog kind of adventures. As we're going to talk about, like every comic had a boy and his dog kind of adventure. It was a very popular uh, kind of like, you know, genre of story. And so a boy and a dog who have the incredible power to like travel in time and fly into outer space together and everything is just like the ultimate boy and his dog, you know, like adventure story, right? Um, so crypto becomes kind of like a recurring part of all of the Superman stories of the and Superboy stories of the 60s and 70s. Um, 
with Superboy, Crypto travels to the future to meet the Legion several times and becomes himself an honorary member of the Legion. And then we'll talk about he uh, founds the Legion of Super Pets, which we will talk about, uh, you know, in a bit. Um, Crypto is also in the modern day a member of an interstellar uh, crime-fighting dog agency called the Space Canine Patrol Agency, which is a bunch of uh, super intelligent dogs who work together to fight crime um, around the galaxy, basically. And each dog has like its own superpower, and uh, they invite Crypto to join them the same way the Legion invites, uh, you know, Superboy to join them, basically. And he goes off and has adventures with them for a while. So he becomes this just kind of like lovely bit of, you know, Superman silliness. And then when John Byrne comes in, the big old spoil sport comes in and kind of just like destroys and gets rid of everything that is not deadly serious about Superman. Right. And so by in 1986, uh, post crisis, John Byrne basically declares, of course, you know, Kal-El was the only survivor of Krypton. There were no dogs. There were no monkeys. There were no Supergirl, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Kal-El is, is, is the only survivor. And so we do not see Crypto in the comics from uh, 1986 to 2001. He does not appear except in things like Alan Moore's Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. He's kind of a relic of, you know, the more fun Superman stories that, you know, predated all of that. He returns in 2001, and the plot story in which he returns is... Uh, Zod has set a trap, speaking of people who like somehow were later revealed to survive Krypton blowing up, uh, General Zod has created a trap for Superman. And so he has built a fake planet, a fake version of Krypton that is still functioning, and like tricks Superman and Lois into going there. Right. And then Superman uh, is, you know, briefly kind of like brainwashed into living the ordinary life he would have led if Krypton hadn't exploded. And so part of that life is mysteriously Lois is still his, you know, is, is, is still his wife, basically. Um, but they have kids and they have a dog on, on Krypton, on this fake Krypton, and the dog is Crypto. Um, Superman, of course, eventually figures this out and escapes the brainwashing. And he and Lois escape the exploding new fake Krypton uh, just in time. But right before, uh, you know, like the, the, the trap falls apart and the fake planet like is destroyed, Crypto like jumps through the portal with them. Right. So like this fake crypto, this fake dog basically um, is revealed to, to actually like be sufficiently real that he follows Superman and Lois back to Earth. And now Superman has, uh, you know, superpowered dog uh, back on Earth. This only lasts for a few years before we have Infinite Crisis kind of like re-wipes the, you know, slate clean for continuity again. And after Infinite Crisis... Uh, we have a crypto who has always been here. Basically, we go back to that first origin of he was shot into space, uh, you know, before uh, Kal-El and then followed him to Earth. And he doesn't arrive until uh, Superman's like much older, right? Like he's he's in his late teens. And as an adult, we learn that Superman has been keeping crypto in the Fortress of Solitude. Because unlike the previous crypto who was smart enough to be a crime fighter, this crypto is literally just a dog, right? And so, you know, he's extremely dangerous because of his incredible power um, and is prone to, you know, like tearing up entire trees just to play with them and that sort of thing. Um, And so Superman kind of has to maintain a careful control over this, you know, monstrous beast, basically, that just wants to play with heat vision and super strength. (laughs) This is the version of crypto I remember the uh, the one that's just like a giant, very strong dog. Right, exactly. There's there's no thought bubbles. He's not trying to help Superman in any way, any more than any ordinary dog would try to help a person. Right, like he's mad yeah. when somebody fights Superman. This is the um, one that uh, Superboy has for a little while. Yeah, that's what. Was, yeah, exactly. In order okay. to they 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 uh, in the Teen Titans at that point, uh, Connor is currently active as Superboy, as the cloned version of Superman. And as part of kind of like a lesson to teach him some responsibility, uh, Superman gives Crypto to Connor to take care of for a while. And so Crypto becomes kind of a supporting character in the in the Teen Titans and part of, uh, you know, Superboy solo run as well. That is a fun version of it, right? Like, but it is constantly, you know, uh, Superboy has to like, you know, pick up a tree and throw it to the horizon basically to give, you know, Crypto some exercise and that sort of thing. So. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. Yeah. P- 
post that, right, like in the modern continuity, the post Flashpoint and et cetera continuity, we have changed crypto's uh, backstory again. And crypto now is not put in a rocket as part of the testing. They kind of like decided that seems kind of cruel, right? This is the family pet. Why are we shooting him off in rockets? Um, and crypto's story now is that when Jor-El had invented the Phantom Zone projector uh, back on Krypton as a place to put Kryptonian criminals, right? There were a group of Kryptonian criminals who were supposed to be put in the Phantom Zone, and they like briefly tried to escape and attacked Jor-El's family, right? They were trying to kill Jor-El and and Lara, and Crypto bravely uh, leaps into the fight to save his master Jor-El and protect the baby and that sort of thing uh, from these criminals and gets sucked into the Phantom Zone with the bad guys. And Jor-El can't find him again to get him out, right? He spends the you know part of his last period of time, you know, his, his beloved dog, and fails to do so. And then Krypton blows up, right? right? So Crypto now is in the Phantom Zone for all of these years. And Superman has a modern day recent adventure, Grant Morrison run, where... Uh, he travels to the Phantom Zone and finds the dog, right? And manages to rescue him from the Phantom Zone and brings him back with him. And so Crypto has not aged because he's been in the Phantom Zone for all of these years. So, you know, there was no Crypto for Superboy, for young Superman or anything. Like Superman has now found him in his modern, you know, like adult age and has Crypto as a pet. Um, once again, a similar kind of shtick of he's not, you know, smart enough to actually be Superman's sidekick or anything like that. But uh, he does have the full suite of Kryptonian powers. And that's his current origin just in the last couple of years since uh, since Morrison was writing action. So That's awesome. I, I actually had not seen Crypto in any comics like recently. I yeah, he, I don't know if he's appeared in the last year or two, but two or three years ago, he was in a, a, an entire run of them. So, Yeah, re- Rebirth and all that kind of lost me. Yeah. So I got to get back to it at some point. But, uh, okay, well, that's that's a fairly you know straightforward as to who Crypto is. Yeah, um, he doesn't really, you know, like I said, he's had three or four different origins, but he kind of stays the same guy. And he is, of course, most famously, and, you know, kind of like relevantly to, uh, you know, today's episode... He is a member of a superhero team in the future of the Legion of Super Pets. Right. And so uh, we'll tell the story of the Legion of Super Pets, basically. Uh, the, the lineup of the Legion of Super Pets is Crypto, Streaky the Super Cat, who is uh, Supergirl's uh, cat, and Comet the Super Horse, who also kind of belongs to Supergirl in a very complicated way. Uh, we're not going to get sidetracked by all the weird stuff in Comet's backstory. If you want to hear that story, uh, please go back to our Supergirl episode and get all the weird kinky details of, you know, like the guy who loved Supergirl so much that he became her horse. Um, yeah, we, did we did that already. Did, we've, we've done that one already. Uh, Beppo the Super Monkey and Prody who is the alien pet of the Legion of the, the Legionnaire uh, Chameleon Boy. And so the way this story goes is uh, there in, in the 30th century, we meet an alien race that is conquering the Earth, uh, and they're called the Brain Globes of Rambat. And they are literally, as described, a bunch of brains in big, you know, transparent uh, uh, spheres, basically, who float around and just kind of like mind control you and stuff. And so they have mind-controlled most of the Legion of Superheroes and turned them into their slaves. And only a small number of Legionnaires have managed to escape this. So Superboy travels into the future and discovers that, oh, all of my friends have turned against me. They've all turned evil. This is terrible. And winds up like hooking up with like the underground resistance of Legion of Superheroes, the few of them that have escaped this. And in experimenting, you know, fighting the brain globes, they discover that while the uh, brain globes are powerful enough to take over even the most powerful minds of the Legion of Superheroes, right? They've controlled Monel, they've controlled Brainiac Five, etc. Saturn Girl has managed to resist them with her own telepathy, and she's kind of leading the underground. And they discover that the that the brain globes' mental powers do not work on animals; they only work on intelligent beings, right? So Superboy and Saturn Girl basically recruit the entire team of like all of Superboy's and Supergirl's various pets to form a team uh, to fight the, the, the brain globes, um, which they successfully do. 
they kind of like fight together as a group, more or less, and uh, manage to defeat the Brain Globes and uh, free all of the Legionnaires from uh, mind control. Um, and they are rewarded for this by the Legion, who makes all of them honorary members of the Legion of Superheroes and defines them as a team of the Legion of Super Pets. Right? So this is, uh, you know, uh, becomes a gag, becomes a bit gag. They appear in a few more stories that are much sillier than the first one is, right? Like the first one is kind of silly, but it's taking itself seriously as a story and clearly is like it's part of continuity, right? Like it's not a, it's not a joke story. And it's mm-hmm. actually kind of scary that, you know, like, oh, my God, the heroes have all been mind controlled. This is terrible, you know. Um, so that story is definitely part of continuity. The other ones tend to be much sillier. And you can kind of say, oh, that was just sort of a throwaway joke. So you've got Streaky. Streaky is not from Krypton, unlike the rest of the super pets, right? Of, um, unlike Beppo and, and Crypto. Streaky is just an ordinary cat. Uh, who lived with Supergirl when she was back in the uh, um, in the Danvers household, right? Like when she had just left the orphanage, basically. And Supergirl had found a weird form of kryptonite, like a weird isotope of kryptonite that she was experimenting on, um, so that she could understand kryptonite and figure out ways to like keep it from affecting her. And one of the side effects of this mysterious ex-kryptonite, basically, is that the cat got into it, and the cat got superpowers and became super intelligent. Um, this never worked on anybody else. So, but the cat becomes, you know, Supergirl's, uh, uh, you know, sidekick, basically. Um, and though Streaky is the one who travels to the 30th century in the first Super Pet stories. We discover that somehow, like you know, Streaky has been genetically altered by this too. So all of his all of uh, his uh, descendants um, also have superpowers, right? So there is the 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 cat in the 30th century. The 30th century descendant of Streaky is Wizzy, who also has the full range of like you know Kryptonian superpowers basically, and he is the one who appears in all of the rest of the Legion of Super Pet stories. So we don't have to explain like by time travel. Uh, you know, how Streaky kept getting out there, basically. Beppo, on on the other hand, uh, we learn in a 1959 story that Jor-El not only used dogs um, to uh, test the rockets before Kal-El, but he also had a bunch of monkeys that he was sending up into rockets. Now, in Beppo's case, Beppo is not set up before uh, Kal-El, um, but in fact... Uh, escapes his cage in Jor-El's lab as things are falling apart and basically uh, stows away in Kal-El's rocket. So we have kind of like the retcon, basically, of suddenly not only did Kal-El escape, but he escaped with a monkey inside his rocket. And uh, the, mon- the baby and the rocket travel together to Earth where they crash, uh, you know, like outside of Smallville. And we tell a previously untold story of when pa- Ma and Pa Kent opened up the rocket, there was a baby inside, but also a monkey. And the monkey basically, as you might expect, just like kind of trashes stuff, right? Like is, you know, um, discovers itself to be a super monkey with all of Superman's powers, basically makes a mess of the farm, uh, you know, to hilarious effect, and then flies away and we don't see him again. And so he kind of like disappears. We figure that he like flew off to Africa to actually go live with other monkeys or something, right? And like Ma and Pa never refer to this story again, (laughs) you know, but it's in canon up until, you know, the crisis anyway. In canon, there was a monkey inside that spaceship uh, along with Baby. Um, And then many, many years later, Superboy discovered, you know, Beppo still hanging out in Africa with a bunch of other monkeys uh, still wearing a cape. Right, still for no reason that like we could make it anybody could understand, but branding, <laughs> right? Exactly. And then Prody. Now Prody is interesting. Uh, we had kind of when Chameleon Boy was introduced. Chameleon Boy has the power to change his shape, right, into any kind of well, he can change his shape into pretty much anything. But mostly, what he changes into is weird alien monsters and stuff, right? Like that's kind of his his shtick, basically. Um, and so, you know, he we always see him like going into battles where he has transformed himself into a giant octopus from the planet Venus or whatever kind of thing. And for most of those early stories, he had a sidekick creature that was basically just like a blob of protoplasm. 
that would occasionally shape like limbs, right? Like you would have arms and legs and kind of a head, but no face. And it would just sort of sit on his shoulder, kind of like the, you know, kind, you know, just kind of a, a, a little like, you know, person made of jelly basically or something. Right. And it would change like chameleon boy would change. Right. And was clearly like, you know, his pet and would help him where it could. Um, and was clearly just as smart as crypto at least. Right. Which is probably as smart as like a five-year-old um, and, you know, would try to do everything that it could to help when uh, there was a story in which uh, uh, Lightning Lad had died, and the rest of the Legion had discovered that he has, wasn't actually dead, but he was kind of in a weird coma, and that if they like used this special device and stood outside in a lightning storm and generated like this energy that they could bring him back to life, but it, each one of them would be putting their own lives at risk. Like one of them would have to sacrifice their lives to bring Lightning Lad back. And they all loved Lightning Lad so much that they were just like, yes, I will totally volunteer to die to bring Lightning Lad back to life. Um, and they were having a fight over who was going to do it. Um, so they decided to do it randomly, right? And like they all stood outside, the people who were doing this, with like lightning rods, basically, in the middle of a thunderstorm. Uh, and whichever one of them that the lightning bolt hit, that would be the one who died. And so the lightning bolt comes down, and it hits Saturn Girl, and it kills her. And it brings Lightning Lad back to life. Now, this is terrible, like for Lightning Lad, right? Because this was his girlfriend uh, who sacrificed herself to bring him back to life. We then learn uh, Brainiac Five takes a look at the, you know, at the lightning rod being used and realized that Saturn Girl had like cheated and used a special kind of lightning rod that was clearly better than anybody else's and was clearly going to make the lightning strike her instead of anybody else. So she was keeping everybody else alive while saving uh, Lightning Lad. And then, on top of that revelation, we then see Lightning Lad coming out of a cave. Uh, we see Saturn Girl coming out of a cave, looking all dazed, like holding her head and everything. Realize that she's still alive, and that Prody had seen what Saturn Girl was doing and uh, how she was willing to sacrifice herself to bring her boyfriend back to from the dead. And so Prody attacked her and knocked her out and took on her shape and used her cheating lightning rod, basically. So that he was the one who was sacrificed to bring Lightning Lad back to death, back to life. That is a complicated so, story, right? Is also the first time a Legionnaire ever actually formally died, right? I mean, Lightning Lad obviously had died in an earlier story, but it turned out he hadn't really died. This is the first time, like, a character in Legion of Superheroes died and did not come back. However, yeah. people were so outraged. They were like the, our beloved, you know, weird jelly sidekick character or whatever. Like DC had no idea how popular apparently Prody was, or like the, you know, what the fan reaction to this was. So they almost immediately had uh, Chameleon Boy go back to his home planet and get another Prody, <laughs> right, to get a second pet to replace the one who died. And so Prody Two uh, was in fact the member, uh, the the one who was around when the Legion of Super Pets story happens. Right, Leba Prody One was never in the Legion of Super Pets because he died before they were formed. Right. Uh, but Prody Two did, in fact, actually, uh, you know, form become a member, the shape-changing member of the Legion of Super Pets. In later years, in the late seventies and eighties, uh, Paul Levitz, uh, you know, revealed in kind of a joke story, basically, that all of the Prody creatures were, in fact, actually as intelligent as normal people. Um, and had them, you know, like join the UFP and stop being treated as pets, basically, and had a whole kind of, you know, uh, like the all the protes were like holding up signs, were protesting and everything of like, don't treat us as pets or whatever, don't keep us in a cage, you know, sort of thing. Um, and uh, all of that has now been kind of like removed from DC continuity, unfortunately. But so that is the story of the Legion of Super Pets. The next great pet in DC, obviously, if Superman has all of these pets running around, you have to know that Batman was not going to tolerate not having uh, some pets running around in the story. And so in 1955, June of 1955, Batman number 92, um, Batman got Ace the Bathound. Right. And Ace the Bathound is a German shepherd. He has no particular abilities or powers or anything he's just an ordinary dog which i guess is appropriate right if like superman gets a super dog batman should just have the best ordinary dog and the deal of the story is uh ace's owner has been kidnapped as part of like a plot basically uh 
And so Ace is like the only witness to the crime, right? Like he's the last clue in the crime. And he could identify the person who did this if he could smell them, you know, sort of thing. He was there. Um, and they're trying to use him to track down his owner and find, you know, get him back before the bad guys kill him, right? Um, and so Batman needs the dog as part of this investigation. He needs the dog to kind of, you know, like be part of this. However, um, unfortunately, at the beginning of the story, Bruce Wayne has been seen with this dog already, right? So if Batman goes running around with the same dog that Bruce Wayne was seen, uh, you know, interacting with earlier, that would be a clue that Bruce Wayne is Batman. So in order to keep this from happening, Batman, the brilliant super genius that he is, puts a mask on the dog. So that nobody knows that it's the <laughs> that it's the same dog that was doing other stuff, and now Batman just has a masked German Shepherd running around with him, helping to solve this crime. It's you know once again the remorseless logic of an eight year old, right? It's just that's of, of course that's what happens. Yes, Batman puts a mask on the dog, and now nobody knows who that dog was. Um, so they solve the crime. Ace does in fact successfully lead them to the owner who was being held, you know, was, was had been kidnapped and Batman beats up the bad guys and everything. And they return the dog to his rightful owner. And that was his one adventure. So they did two or three more stories in Willie. The writers got tired of the bit his dog with him. And so he gave the dog to Bruce and Dick and Ace lived for a while. That continue to technically be, you know, kind of like canon. I mean, he uh, Ace kind of like stopped appearing in the late 60s right around the time that like the TV show ended and like, you know, DC was trying to make Batman a much more serious character again, kind of like returning him to uh, the dark vigilante of the night kind of thing. So when Neil Adams and Frank Robbins and Denny O'Neill were like darkening the Batman, they quickly dropped Ace the Pathound as just being too ridiculous, right? I mean, they dropped Robin, let alone all of the other ridiculousness that had kind of like accrued to that. Um, so we do not see Ace almost at all from like the late 60s to the 90s. In the 90s, we establish um, we, a new character was introduced in Batman's kind of like backstory, who's a guy named Harold. And Harold was kind of Batman's mechanic, right? He, he lived in the Batcave. And he was the guy who took care of all of Batman's vehicles and stuff. He was the guy who had like designed and built the Batmobile and uh, the Batcopter and the Bat whatever, the Batboat, all of the other things. Like Harold was the guy who kept all of those maintained. It wasn't Alfred who did that, right? Um, so he was like another guy who was, you know, in on at least most of Batman's secrets and stuff. And that guy, Harold, had a dog. To help him, because Harold was, you know, um, was was disabled, and he had uh, Ace was uh, had been a guide dog for the blind, and had been had retired from that, and was now living with Harold, kind of like helping him get around. Um, and so in this case, Ace is no longer a German Shepherd; now he's a Mastiff, um, and we do see him, you know, kind of like helping Batman in a couple of stories, right? Like things that happened in the Batcave. Uh, you know, like the dog would be there, but the dog was clearly not, uh, you know, like built to fight crime, right? Like it's, you know, this version of Ace was already kind of like an old dog and was just not really kind of, you know, like built for fighting supervillains or anything. Um, and that dog apparently died during the No Man's Land stories when there was an earthquake that like, uh, you know, basically destroyed the Batcave and most of Gotham City. Um, oh, wow. Ace actually died in that earthquake, which was kind of sad. Yeah, that's awful. Um, there is currently... Sorry? I did not know that they killed off uh, that version of Ace. They killed the dog. Yeah, it was terrible. Did they kill Harold, too? Because I forget. I, um, I think he survived that, but then he was kind of like... He was taken out in something else, like, not long afterwards. Yeah. So it was, a, once again, a time when they were kind of clearing house on the supporting cast, so... I think it actually... I think he was not killed in the earthquake. I think an actual supervillain killed him. So I'd have to go look that up. I only vaguely remember Harold. Yeah. I mean, because like, his name is like Batman's trusty mechanic, Harold. Right. Yeah, exactly. So so there was an ace in all of the Batman Beyond stories, right? Mm -hmm. So at some point, Batman gets another dog named Ace when he's an old man and he's training Terry uh, to be the new Batman of the future. But that's not, you know, officially canon. In the modern day stories, Batman has a dog named Ace, uh, that was originally a, one of a set of dogs, one of a group of dogs that the Joker had used against him 
right? Like Batman, Joker, Batman's chasing Joker somewhere and Joker basically unleashes a bunch of rabid dogs just to slow Batman down so he can get away. Right. And so Batman, you know, uh, winds up like one of the dogs survives that basically um, and is just like hurt. And Alfred winds up bringing that dog in and kind of like healing it. And he gives it to, to Bruce as a pet, basically. Um, and so Batman names him, Bruce names him Ace, basically. And now Batman has a dog living, you know, in, in the in the mansion. Um, Damien separately has his own dog. Uh, whose name is Titus, and sometimes Damien refers to Titus as Bathound, Bathound as well, as well. So there are technically two Bathounds currently living in, uh, you know, like the 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 big Wayne estate, um, and they have appeared in multiple stories just in the last few years. Damien also has. Bat- Damien Bat- also has exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, there is a story. Uh, Pig, I think, right? What's that? It's from Professor Pig. Well, well. okay, so they wind up in this, they're in a story in which Professor Pig and his people have um, poisoned, like, the food supplies of Gotham City, right? Mm -hmm. And so they need, they're in a situation where they're, like, at a farm, and they need to take one of the animals back to the Batcave for testing. Right to find out if, in fact, it has this horrible disease, this virus or whatever that Professor Pig has has engineered and has put into the into the food supply. Right, so they take this cow, or they're they're like picking cows, and and Damien sees that one of the cows, in fact, has like bat shaped markings on its forehead. Right, like they kind of like cover its eyes, so it's 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 a it's a brown and white cow, and the brown that that's on its on its face kind of like makes a, you know, bat mask sort of like, you know, effect on his face. So Damien's like that one, <laughs> right? Bring That one will help us because clearly it's already a bat cow. Um, and so Bruce is like, fine, whatever. Okay. They throw the, you know, cow into the truck basically and bring it back to the bat cave. And at which point, once they, you know, like use that cow to, you know, cure the disease or whatever, uh, Damien um, basically will not let it go, right? Like Damien is like, no, this is my pet now. And this is literally the same story, like at the same time when Damien is horrified to learn that people eat cows. And so he decides that he's vegetarian and that now bad cow is in fact his pet. And Bruce, of course, throws up his hands and does not bother to argue with Damien about anything. Um, and so now Damien keeps it uh, in a barn on the, uh, you know, Wayne properties, basically, um, occasionally sleeps with it at night and that sort of thing. And they are now best friends. As far as I know, Batcow has never actually participated in helping anybody fight a crime. Um, but he shows uh, up briefly in um, in the in the most recent Super Sons, um, and I think he headbutts someone in it. So I think that might be the closest he's ever. Oh, got. there you go. Okay, Super Sons is uh, oddly kind of amazing. So sure, there no, there's some great stuff in there. I know Batcow appears in the comedy, the new Legion of Super Pets that that Detective Chimp is in charge of. But that's clearly just a joke set, right? That's a joke story. Oh, that's awesome. I have not actually yeah. seen that. I need to... Uh, right. Need to- that's, that is clearly like, you know, once again, uh, like a, a, a team of animals is needed. And so they, you know, uh, Crypto and Streaky and Bad Cow and whatever, like there's a, there's a parrot who can stretch, who's like somehow Plastic Man's or something like that. Yeah. And Detective Chimp is leading them as a team. But once again, we're not expected to think that that's canon. That's just kind of like a fun throwaway joke. I love me some Detective Chimp, though. So, Detective Chimp is nobody's fucking pet. He is not. He does not. I'll tell you that. So let's quickly talk about Detective Chimp and also his buddy Rex the Wonder Dog because they are much earlier uh, uh, DC superheroes. Um, they are uh, uh, Rex the Wonder Dog um, was the star of his own comic starting in 1952. This wasn't a superhero comic. Right, it was not part of DC continuity to the extent that any sort of like DC continuity existed in 1952. He was just a really smart dog, like Lassie or Rin Tin Tin or whatever. Right, like it was just like an an age in which, like you know, action hero dogs were just a thing. Right, and so Rex the Wonder Dog was a super smart dog who would just run around rescuing people from fires and kids who had fallen down wells and everything. And would do the most preposterous stuff, right? Like Rex was so smart that he could ride a horse, 
<laughs> right? Literally like holding the reins in his teeth as he's sitting on the saddle on the back of a horse, right? That's how like smart he was that he could like come and, and save people. It is, you know, a, a absolutely charming and silly set of stories. At the same time, Detective Comics had a backup feature called Detective Chimp, where once again, an actual brilliant detective had a chimp uh, who was super smart for a chimp and would help him solve crimes. And as part of like the gag, the chimp would wear like a, you know, hound's tooth hat, like Sherlock Holmes would have and everything and like dress up, uh, you know, like a person and fake smoke a pipe and that sort of thing and would help this detective solve crimes. Both of these were just kind of like comedy throwaway characters at the time. They were not part of any kind of like superhero continuity. Um, and it, in the 19, it was in the mid seventies, uh, Mike Tiefenbach wrote a story uh, in DC Comics Presents, which was the Superman team-up series, in which we learn the story of how Detective Chimp and Rex the Wonder Dog, who are now not just really smart for animals, but are like talking like people, um, mm -hmm. and are you know just as smart. In Detective Chimp's case, smarter than like pretty much any person, um, and how they became secret agents and operatives for the government, and the two of them then secretly found the Fountain of Youth in like the Florida Everglades or something. And so that they basically became immortal um, from like taking a bath in the fountain of youth, which explains how they're still around fighting crime, even though their careers started in the fifties. Right. And so since then, both of them have been part of the DC universe as part of like a secret government project that uses enhanced animals uh, who, you know, in order to like fight crime and that sort of thing, detective chimp has become uh, in the DC canon one of the two or three detectives kind of like just behind Batman in skill, right? And even Batman will like go to him for help because uh, Detective Chimp is such a brilliant detective. Um, Rex is not nearly that bright. Rex is just kind of like as smart as an ordinary guy, but he is super brave and will in fact, you know, risk his life and he is Detective Chimp's friend. Uh, so nobody can, uh, nobody can mess with him. Um, but Detective Chimp has a whole running shtick where uh, his real name, uh, when he, he it's later revealed his real name as a chimp before he was transformed, is Bobo. And he gets very angry if anybody refers to him as Bobo now because that was his slave name. Which is just about the funniest thing I have ever heard. It's great. Uh, him, him and Batman, him telling off Batman about how he's not a real detective is always hilarious. <laughs> And there's like a whole collection of the, you know, of, of like other detectives, basically, who all get together in a secret um, online chat room, basically, to discuss solving crimes without giving away their own secret identities. Right. Right. And so uh, only Batman and Detective Chimp have actually solved who everybody else's identities are. Like the Riddler is there and he doesn't know who anybody else in the room is. All right. So who are we going to now? Well, so we've got uh, Superman, uh, Superman's pets and Batman's pets. Um, there are a bunch of other pets in the DC universe. The guy with the most pets, I think, is Aquaman. Right? Really? Like, Aquaman has so many, since his power is basically to summon creatures, it's kind of unsurprising that he would kind of, like, collect a bunch of these, uh, you know, just kind of, like, recurring ones, right? Like, if he needs to call for help from an octopus, it might as well, from the story point of view, be the same octopus every time. Right? So over the course of Aquaman's stories, he has a lot of friends who are, you know, fish or other like sea animals, but recurring, he has uh, Topo the octopus who helps him on a regular basis just by being an ordinary octopus. But because he can hang out with Aquaman, they can talk and ask for help and everything. Um, Aquaman and Aqualad each have giant seahorses that they ride around on for God only knows what reason. Um, I don't know how that's faster but swim by, than swimming, but apparently it is. And so they have seahorses that they literally ride who have like reins and stuff. And like any good Western hero, they have Western horse names. The two, uh, the two seahorses are named Storm and Imp, um, which I think are fabulous, you know, like cowboy names, basically. And then Aquaman's best friend among the animals is a walrus named Tusky. And Tusky helped him solve crimes all through the 50s and 60s, and then he kind of disappeared for a while. Um, and then Peter David, in 1997, did a story in Aquaman Annual Number 5, which was basically 
an Aquaman noir, right? In which Aquaman is now like a noir detective and is has an underground office where it's always kind of like dark outside and you can see the moon uh, through the shades in his window and that sort of thing. Um, and Tusky's wife comes to Aquaman for help because Tusky has apparently died and she wants uh, Aquaman to solve his murder. And Aquaman spends the rest of the story traveling around trying to find out who murdered Tusky in a full-on fake noir, you know, uh, uh, adventure. Aquaman gets hit on the back of the head and knocked out multiple times in the course of the story. And at the end of it, he discovers that, in fact, Tusky uh, is not dead, uh, but Tusky faked his own death, that all of the clues that are left there are from Tusky actually faking his own death, um, and that Tusky has, in fact, moved to SeaWorld to get away from his nagging wife. <laughs> and so Aquaman discovers that war- that uh, Tusky has retired to SeaWorld where he doesn't really have to work very hard and people just feed him fish all day and he doesn't have to deal with his wife who he just can't stand. And it is one of the all-time funniest comics. I mean, it's kind of, you know, like grossly sexist, but I mean, all noir is kind of like grossly sexist. So, you know, it's kind of built into the joke. Um, but it is genuinely one of the funniest Aquaman stories ever told. So That sounds great. So uh, we got Superman, Batman, and Aquaman. So you kind of have to wonder, all right, who else had a pet, right? Um, Wonder Woman's pet, uh, who she's had since the Golden Age and keeps coming back ever so often. We learned that the, uh, the, on, on Paradise Island that the Amazons all don't have horses, but they travel around on the back of what are basically giant kangaroos. And they're called kangas. And, uh, you know, they have incredible leaping ability and they're super fast. They're much faster than horses. And basically all of the Amazons ride them into battle. And uh, Diana's uh, Kanga is named Jumpa. And uh, Jumpa appears in a number of Golden Age and Silver Age uh, Wonder Woman adventures. But really, they, they keep trying to bring the Kangas back and they never really stick. So it's not quite a not really quite a thing. Could you imagine the Zack Snyder uh, direction of uh, Justice Of the League? Kangas? Well, yeah, just where all right. the Amazons are running down on their horses. If instead it was just like a horde of kangaroos, it would be amazing. It'd be so much better. <laughs> be so I would good. have so much more respect for Zack Snyder if he did that. <laughs> oh, because it would show that Zack Snyder had a sense of humor, which is something that is you know clearly lacking in almost all of the DC stuff. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it would be amazing. I kangaroo Amazons. Right, they're like kangaroos, but like their ears kind of like curl around their heads, so it kind of looks like they have horns. Right, they're really kind of you know freaky looking. So, okay, um, yeah, but they cool. like headbutt. You know, they headbutt you basically. So it's like when 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 Wonder Woman is like fighting somebody, kangaroo the, the jumpa will like literally kind of like leap in the air and just headbutt them. So, huh, okay. Um, in the Golden Age, obviously, a lot of characters, a lot of superheroes had animal pets. In the DC universe, Green Lantern, uh, the Alan Scott Green Lantern, briefly had a dog who helped him, uh, who's called Streak the Wonder Dog. Streak had no powers or anything. He just was there to hang out with Green Lantern and whatever. Um, you know, we're not really sure what he was doing. Uh, eventually, Streak the Wonder Dog uh, left the planet entirely. He uh, basically, Green Lantern kind of gave him to Doiby Dickles. Uh, who had been Green Lantern's kind of sidekick, basically. And uh, when Doiby traveled off into space to become a space cabbie, he took the dog with him. So, uh, Dr. Midnight, of course, had an owl who was his sidekick, who was called Hootie the Owl, uh, who was one of the very first, actually, DC, uh, you know, like pets. Um, Hootie, uh, once again, for the most part, did not have any superpowers or do anything terribly useful, except occasionally fly into the face of a bad guy to like distract them when they were holding a gun or something. Um, there was a uh, JSA story told in the modern day recently where uh, Hootie had almost died uh, in a battle, and in order to save him, they had to give him some of Our Man's Miraclo. And so for an hour, Hootie became the most powerful owl, owl on Earth and was just flying around like crazy, like beating everybody up. So that was kind of fun. Uh, Airwave had a parrot, a talking parrot, whose name was Static, uh, who also had no particular you know, point in the story except to just be comic relief. But uh, you know, he did run around causing, you know, fighting crime with a parrot on his shoulder. In the, uh, well, um, the Shining Knight, of course, had a had a Pegasus, had a flying horse with wings. 
Um, we're not really counting any of kind of like the Western heroes who pretty much all had horses because they don't really count as superheroes. But Shiny Knight really does kind of count since he, you know, has magic armor and a magic sword and all of that other stuff. And he flies a Pegasus, basically. And the oh, Pegasus' yeah. name is Winged Victory, which is kind of an awesome name for your horse. So, you know, that was cool. Um, in the Silver Age, uh, Ray Palmer, the Atom, actually had a minor bird for a while as a recurring like character. Um, once again, didn't really help him fight crime that much, but every so often since he was, you know, super shrunk, he would like, you know, get the minor bird to fly him somewhere. So he was like sufficiently trained that he would at least, you know, like carry the Adam to some other place he needed to get to. And his name was Major Mina, which, you know, is actually kind of funnier than you would expect for such a stupid character idea. The uh, Super Friends, of course, had uh, a couple of dogs. The original one had uh, had just Wonder Dog, who did not, in fact, have any additional name. And then in the uh, more updated uh, Super Friends, they added an alien uh, blue monkey with a long, you know, prehensile tail called Gleek, who would once again help try to help the, Super, the, uh, the, the Wonder Twins uh, fight crime. Uh, Clarion the Witch Boy had a cat familiar called Tikal, uh, who would help him in his, you know, in his spells and that sort of thing. And every so often, because this was a creepy Jack Kirby series that was kind of happening in the back of uh, Demon comics, um, Tikal would, uh, like, reveal his true form, right? Like, Tikal, you know, appeared to be an ordinary cat until, like, you know, shit really got bad, basically. And then Tikal would suddenly, like, transform into a horrible 15-foot-tall, you know, nightmare monster, basically, just for a few panels. And after it had, like, killed everything, would just go back to being a cat kind of licking itself or whatever. Um, so that was kind of like a funny running, you know, background joke that like Clarion had no control whatsoever over like this nightmare monster that he had for a pet. Also in the Kirby runs, Orion, the son of Darkseid, uh, you know, leader of the new gods, does in fact himself have a dog um, who is super intelligent and leads an entire army of new god dogs basically into battle to, you know, fight Darkseid and that sort of thing. And his name is Sturmer, uh, which is, you know very kind of white nationalist but a little uh you know has carries a bit of a you know unfortunate connotation today i don't think he's likely to come back anytime soon and then in modern stories for dc um obviously uh, uh the harley quinn uh owns a pet hyena uh that she uh you know frequently like kind of brings around with her while she is committing crimes or you know not depending on whether she's a good guy this time around um, and she has named her hyena Bruce after Bruce Wayne, who she does not know is Batman, but she's seen him on TV and thinks he's cute. Uh, so she, in fact, named her uh, named her her, her pet uh, hyena after Bruce Wayne. And then, of course, you have the greatest single greatest uh, DC animal hero of all, who is Dexstar. And Dexstar is a cat whose uh, owner was uh, murdered in front of him. Um, a completely ordinary murder, basically. She was just mugged, basically. Um, and Dexstar was, you know, like horrified and terrified by this. And then uh, Dexstar and several other cats were basically then put trapped, put in a sack and thrown off a bridge uh, by some other, you know, like ruffian kids, basically. And uh, Dexstar was so angry about his treatment and the, the fact that his owner had, uh, had died that his anger was, in fact, detected by one of the Red Lantern rings. Um, and so, uh, you know, the Red, Red Lantern rings are, of course, powered by rage. And so the ring came down and selected Dexstar, saved him from uh, drowning in the sack. Um, and Dexstar then, you know, like turned his, uh, you know, his anger and his superpowers on like wiping out the kids who threw him in the bridge, off the bridge, uh, and has dedicated the rest of his life to finding uh, the mugger who killed his owner. Um, and he is just this little ball of like fur and anger and claws and hatred and is just one of the most hilarious uh, villains basically ever. And I can't feel mad at him no matter how many people he kills. He is still just adorable. So, Yeah, that, that first comic, uh, Dexstar's origin, is actually like really sad. It's super sad, right? When he's like lying there next to the body of like, his owner, and he's just like, you know, De Dexstar kill, I good kitty. Yeah, very, very sad. Um, well written, really well written uh, comic. Um, 
for being i think it's, i think it's like nine nine pages long maybe short yeah well he first appeared in the in the rage of the red lanterns annual right in 2008 but he has shown up you know in a lot of group things with the rest of the red lanterns in uh, in a bunch of different green lantern stories so he's still clearly part of the group so absolutely so those are pretty much the dc pets that we could think of um and if we've missed any please uh, give us a yell um marvel uh, having kind of, you know, like begun later, the Marvel Universe um, is is a little lighter on ridiculous pet uh, characters, but they do have a few. Um, there is an entire team uh, that is kind of the equivalent of the Legion of Super Pets uh, that is uh, called the Pet Avengers. Um, and they have, uh, you know, gotten together on various, uh, you know, like kind of like comical uh, um, missions. Um, the lineup of the Pet Avengers includes Lockjaw, who is the Inhumans pet, um, who, like the rest of the Inhumans, uh, does in fact have you know superpowers. In his case, he is both so strong um, that his jaws cannot be opened even by the thing, right? Like his power, is, his, his grip is powerful enough that even the thing can't break it. Um, and also he can teleport, which is really kind of handy. I mean, he can teleport literally anywhere um, to other dimensions, other planets, all kind of his range is basically unlimited. Um, but he is, in fact, just a good dog. Um, otherwise, uh, Falcon had a uh, sidekick uh, bird at the, you know, like the the Red Wing of the comics. Uh, that is a you know is a, is a, a mechanized drone in the movies. Um, is in fact an actual real bird in the comics, um, and it's a bird that has uh, been telepathically linked to Falcon, so they can actually like talk to each other telepathically. Um, it is an un an underused part of like Falcon's superpower set is that he can actually communicate not just with Red Wing, but pretty much all birds. So the X-Men had uh, K- Kitty Pride and later uh, Ileana and a couple of other characters were taking care of an alien, uh, small, tiny dragon called Lockheed, uh, who was their kind of like pet and sidekick for a while. It was then eventually revealed that Lockheed was, uh, uh, in, in, as in this kind of like common revelation, was in fact actually much more intelligent than anybody was giving him credit for. And, uh, you know, that his species is completely sentient. And though he, you know, kind of liked living with Kitty and Ileana, he was a little upset about all, you know, constantly being treated like a pet just because he couldn't talk. Um, and he is still kind of, you know, kicking around the X-Men universe. Speedball had a pet, had a cat who was uh, with him at the time that he was subjected to the strange radiation that gave him powers. And so uh, he has a... Uh, he has a, a a sidekick uh, cat who's, uh, whose name is Niels, after Niels Bohr. Um, and uh, has the same superpowers that Speedball has, which is that he can, you know, kind of like bounce off of things and like absorb physical impact um, and, you know, instead kind of like, you know, travel at incredible speed when he bounces off of things. Uh, the Pet Avengers also includes Ms. Lion, who is a Shih Tzu, uh, who uh, in the comics, uh, in, the, in the animated series, in the Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends animated series, in fact belonged to Firestar. Uh, but in the actual like Marvel continuity universe, uh, instead belongs to uh, May Parker, um, to uh, 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 May Watson. I mean, I'm sorry, Mary Jane's um, mother. Uh, so uh, she's been, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't have any powers, but just shows up in the Pet Avengers for for jokes. Um, the Pet Avengers also includes Throg. Once again, nobody's pet. Um, Throg is in fact a, uh, a a frog who has acquired the powers of Thor. And if you want to know more about Throg, you should go back to our Loki uh, episode explanations. Yeah, or he shows up because uh, he shows up voiced by Chris Hemsworth. Yes, exactly. Um, Marvel also has uh, Cosmo the space dog and Rocket Raccoon. Once again, not pets at all, but just intelligent animal creatures. Um, Kazar the savage has a, a saber-toothed tiger named Zabu, uh, who has, you know, kind of like followed him around and is kind of like counts as a pet, I suppose. And then, of course, in more the most recent comics, Hawkeye has an ordinary dog, uh, Lucky the Pizza Dog, uh, who has, you know, shared many adventures with him. Um, and uh, X-23, uh, the new Wolverine, has, in fact, an actual Wolverine, uh, like a, you know, non-mutant one, just an ordinary uh, you know, woodland animal wolverine um, that she has named Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan and Lucky, if they do another Pet Avengers, need to show up on it. Should show up at it. I definitely think so. Yeah, there are more pets than Throg. 
Yeah, they're awesome. Uh, also, uh, recently in the West Coast Avengers, there's uh, Jeff the Baby Landshark. Uh, oh, who, uh, right. You know, I completely forgot about Jeff the Landshark. You are correct. Yeah, he's adopted by Gwenpool uh, right? during the West Coast Avengers. And I think they just, I think, uh, I think also Bloodstone has him for a little while. And then at the end of the series, I think um, Gwenpool gives him to Deadpool because she's afraid of her series getting canceled. And then uh, Jeff. <laughs> Um, which is uh, wonderfully, uh, you know. Jeff is, in fact, amazing. Jeff, Jeff is basically a dog-sized shark who lives on the land and um, behaves in every way like a dog, basically. So yeah. he's yeah, he's just a dog. Um, right. He's constantly like stealing food from the from like the local businesses and stuff. So. Yeah, I think he's super strong for his size. I think that is a... Uh, right, and also, are... like, he's a shark, right? Like, I mean, he'll bite your arm off, but, yeah. Absolutely. So The, the ones that they... Uh, the other ones, the big ones, uh, were violent. Um, so that's, yeah. the, that's the big two. Mm -hmm. There are other, you know, kind of, like, notable characters. I set a challenge to, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out who, in fact, the first super pet ever was. Um, and so I was kind of like tracking them back and, uh, on my own, I was able to track down the existence, the, that, uh, um, in the, uh, faucet, uh, hero line, there was in fact a bullet man and bullet girl who briefly had a bullet dog, uh, back in 1942, um, who like both bullet man and bullet girl wore, you know, like a high tech belt that basically allowed him to fly around. Hilariously, the real name of bullet dog was slug, which I think is actually really funny. So. Uh, the uh, Dan Richards Manhunter um, in Quality Comics, if you go back to our quality history, um, the, uh, in police first appeared in Police Comics number eight in March of 1942, and that version of Manhunter had a dog that was helping him track down criminals. It was basically a scent hound, basically who helped him, you know, find criminals on the run, whose name was Thor. And for a while, I thought the earliest super pet that I could find. Um, was in fact, once again, cut, uh, noting back to our quality story, was in fact Michael the Bee from the Red Bee. Uh, since he appears in Hit Comics number one, the very first Red Bee story, uh, the you know the leader of the swarm of bees that the Red Bee kept in his belt buckle to like help him fight crime, and who somehow was a bee whose superpower was that he could just sting people over and over again and not die like an ordinary bee, um, and his name was Michael and he was trained to help the Red Bee. And he first appears in July of 1940. And so at the first time I wrote the script for this episode, I thought he was the oldest, but in fact, a uh, longtime friend of the show and uh, golden age comic book expert, Jess Nevins uh, did some research for me to track down. And he found two that are even older than that. Um, and they are actually kind of like tied for the oldest, you know, the first super pets in, in comic books. And they are both a month before Michael the Bee appears. Oh, wow. um, Ace, uh, uh, Ace Comics had a superhero called Marvo. Uh, and in June of 1940, we introduced Marvo. Marvo was a pulp magician, exactly of the same sort of, uh, you know, that kind of like uh, Blackstone to, uh, you know, um, Mandrake in the in the newspaper strips right like was a mandrake ripoff who got his own comic um and marvo the magician had a pet monkey who would help him fight crime and was also part of his magic act and his name was tito and he appeared in june of 1940 and then in cyclone comics uh they had a guy who was called mr q and Mr. Q is barely a superhero, but I decided to kind of like allow him in here because he's really much more of a pulp detective. Um, he doesn't wear a mask. He doesn't really have a costume, um, but he's one of those kind of, you know, like, uh, you know, crime fighters in a suit kind of thing um, who goes around and solves crimes, um, kind of a spirit type character. Um, and he has a dog named Satan who helps him fight crime. And so both Satan the dog and Tito the monkey both appear for the first time in June 1940 and therefore are tied for being the first superheroes in comics. They, they both, uh, the first super pets in comics. They both beat Michael the Bee um, by a month and they beat any of the DC ones by, uh, what, 10 months? Because the, the, the first DC one is Hootie. So 
Hmm. That's really uh it's interesting that they were all like came into being so close to each other. Well, when you think about it, I mean, this is literally the time that superheroes are being invented, right? right. So it's, you know, there was such a massive flood of product of characters that were appearing over 1940 and 41 in the wake of Superman selling, you know, so many copies um, that, you know, the idea that somebody would just take, I mean, there were certainly, you know, like pets in pulp stories and that sort of thing before. Right. So to kind of like carry that forward and give your superhero a pet sidekick was just another way of kind of differentiating themselves from the crowd, right? So they all kind of hit around that same time. There's so many characters with first appearances in 1940 or 41 that it's just a massive wave of them. That makes sense. But now we've done the research, right? This is an official piece of scientific research, and uh, I, we're very secure with our findings here. Once again, Jess, uh, you know, knows his stuff. Um, and I was delighted to discover that I was only a month off in uh, in my research. So that's awesome. Well, uh, if you want cutting edge research like this, uh, you can only get it here. <laughs> uh, come back next time, and we'll be talking about something else. Um, I've been Steve Castor, and I'm Darren Watts. Have a good night. Thanks for coming. Mm-hmm.